They tell me you want to be a picture maker. Um, yes, sir, I do. Why? This business, it'll rip you apart. Well, Mr. Ford, I... So what do you know about art, kid? I love your movies so much. No art. See that painting over there? I mean, yes. Yes, I do see it. Walk over to it. Hello and welcome to this very special edition of the Get Your Film Fix podcast. Uh. I am Chapin Hemingway, joined as always by Lee Carlo and Jeremy Fisk. We've had a couple of technical difficulties here, guys, but we're going to bring it home. We're going to bring a wonderful podcast. Probably the most important living filmmaker has made an extremely autobiographical film i don't know if i don't know if there are degrees to which something can be autobiographical but if there is this is certainly one of them in steven spielberg's <laughs> one of the, the degrees fablements. <laughs> the um, don't, don't interrupt my fucking introductions okay oh Lee? you guys interrupt my introductions like it's the rule well i mean yeah we just have to we're not interrupting it we're just correcting you no i'm out, I'm out. I'm getting the I'm correct s- information out there I'm sitting here drinkless, um, but uh, so guys, um, I was really excited to see this. I think I'm the biggest Spielberg fan out of all three of us, but I know we all like him, all love him for that matter, um, and I think we've got an exciting, oh, Lee says no, um, Overrated. I think we've gotten, what? No, move on. I think we've got an exciting, um, we're going to count down the top 10 Steven Spielberg films ever made. And we're going to do that uh, via voting. So I received Lee and Jeremy's top 10 Spielberg movies, and I combined it with mine using the old fixie top 10 um, stupid point system that we have yet to. It's called an algorithm. Yeah. Don't don't get too close to that mic there, Jeremy. Why why are you calling it stupid? Because it, it. So in that system, the number 10 movie is worth. A tenth the n- of the what num- the number one movie is. I know it's hard. We have fixed that with the top five, with the top fives, but it's harder to do with tens. Got it. Okay. Well, we'll maybe we'll work on perfecting it. We, maybe we can consult with Palmer and Associates on a better system um, come March. Uh, yeah, I've get purchased. Some, we'll get some nerds in to help us. Yeah. Um. So, guys, uh, Fablemans. Um. <clears throat> now. I know we've talked a lot about Hollywood loving to make movies about movie making, and we've also talked a lot about biopics, and this movie is both. Now, I think we all like the uh, auteur theory, um, you know, filmmakers who, uh, you know, write and direct their own movies and make movies that are personal to them and sometimes infuse ideas about themselves into movies, right? Like real artists, this is what people do. They explore things that are important to them. Um, and maybe, maybe even aspects of their own identity in their work. Um, what Spielberg has done here is essentially just made a biopic about himself. Um, I grew up, you know, being a big Spielberg fan. He was my hero, so I knew a lot of all the, a lot of the stuff that happens in this film. Um, you know, they are called the Fablemans, but it's very clearly about his family. Um, so I'm wondering, guys, like. Without, and I know a little bit about where you guys fall in this movie based on where this movie landed, if it landed at all in your top tens, but I'm wondering if you can kind of 
without if you can kind of think about this question separate from your opinion of the movie but is this a good way to tell a story i mean for a filmmaker to like make for a filmmaker like spielberg who isn't um at least hasn't for a little while made a movie that's particularly autobiographical you know he he explored sort of the idea of you know suburban life and close encounters and et and so i think there's some aspects of his personality and the where where he grew up in that but for a filmmaker who has kind of grown out of that part of his career is this the right is maybe not the right but is this an effective way of you know talking about the things that are important to you so what i think is interesting tape is that you you point out that this movie is both a movie about making movies and also a biopic but it's also like kind of simultaneously neither which I'd, which is where i think that this is kind of right up spielberg's alley because the the movie making is is I guess I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it. The movie making is kind of within the biopic, but if you don't want to call it a biopic, you don't have to because it's a very universal story about family and coming of age, and it capitalizes a lot on Spielberg's storytelling strengths in that way. You know, he you know, obviously you point out like some of his older movies and you know what characters relationships with their parents uh mean and how those relationships move stories forward and you know he you know he hasn't really done a lot of coming of age stuff but i think to call to to simplify this movie by saying it's a movie about making movies and it's a biopic is doing it a little bit of a disservice and not giving spielberg necessarily the credit in recognizing what he had here. I'm trying to explain all this without giving away my opinions too much, but basically what I think is that he saw clearly within his own life something that is very relatable to a lot of people, and that is, you know, struggles on a fam- within a family, like whether it's, you know, moving to different places, whether it's the way your parents, like what your parents do for work or right. what your parents, like, sacrifice to raise a family, or, you know, what you find comfort in, what eases your own anxieties, what it's like to go to a new school. All of these things are in this movie that I think are just so relatable and really sure. very much up Spielberg's alley that it doesn't matter that it's about him or that that thing mm. is filmmaking. Well, I disagree it, with that. I disagree with that. I just think it's important to talk about why it's important to address why this filmmaker who's been so important in film in the last, you know, 50 years has decided, you know, in the twilight of his career, you know, to make this very personal film. Um, And I agree with you that there are universal ideas here in the way they appeal to the audience. But I think, you know, we always like to look at directors and what they're, what they're doing and what's important to them. And, you know, in the same way that, you know, PTA explores the San Fernando Valley, um, you know, and, and, and aspects of Hollywood and, and people um, on the periphery of that industry um, because he was, his family was like, this is what Spielberg's doing, but he's doing it 
in a way that is much more exact in that he's telling the story of his own family. But are you asking why now? I'm not asking why now. I'm just wondering if like, is that, is that an effective way of, is that, is that the right direction? I know we're not, we don't like to talk in absolutes here, but like, well, is, was this the best way to tell what you just described, Lee? Well, like the can things I, that can are I important interject in movie. here a little bit? Um, of course. Do you still have the will to live? I hope. Yes, I do. Uh, okay. So, uh, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> All over a microphone. <laughs> I didn't know it was that dire. Uh, obviously, Spielberg's a populist uh, director. So, in telling this very personal story, it does seem a bit anti-Spielberg because he, right. I mean, just the the fact that he's he's delving so much into his own personal life, but he does it in a very populist way, which Lee alluded to as far as just um, thematically things about, you know, childhood and moving and uh, his parents' issues and family issues and how he dealt with it through the lens of film. Um, so you, you ask if it's like the right thing for him to be doing. I, I could, I, it's like impossible. I know this, that the podcast hasn't come out yet, but it's like impossible not to compare it to like Armageddon time, which is another film um, where, that James Gray made about, basically the same time in his life and why how he ended up becoming a filmmaker and his family issues so really like what was that the right was that the right decision for him to do that i don't think it's like a a necessarily a right and wrong thing i think it's how you portray it and spielberg being the populist filmmaker he is did it in a way that's sort of much more relatable than armageddon time is and he did it he did it in a way that yes he gets to tell that story about filmmaking and how he fell in love with filmmaking but really that that's not the story the story is this family the story is the characters the story is this young boy and what he's going through whereas armageddon time it's like the same thing but in a much less relatable way in a way where you kind of have to uh, try to uh, grasp at straws to get something out of it. Whereas Spielberg, um, he's not subtle in this movie, but he's also hitting on stuff that really, really sort of tugs at you. I mean, I also think that, <clears throat> like, this is, it's not so, like, technically, I, I don't know if technically is the right word, but. Spielberg has said that he he didn't feel like he could make this movie until after his parents had passed away, which they both now have. And you can understand that having watched the movie just, you know, from the perspective of someone that, you know, still has a relationship or had a relationship with both of his parents and would be hesitant to portray them on film um, at times in a negative light while they were still alive to see it. So there was that aspect of him waiting. But I also think that there was this. I think that there's this this like idea here that suits Spielberg's talent so well that it's not this isn't like a, a 
incredibly specific story. This isn't because it's Spielberg and because he eventually became the most important and arguably one of the greatest filmmakers to ever exist. The character of Sammy Fableman becomes more significant. Yeah. But even minus that, this isn't a particularly unique story, but Spielberg is just such a good movie maker that he can elevate the simplicities of the story in such a oh. fascinating way. Well, so and that's disagree- so important, and that's something that James Gray did not do in Armageddon time. I, I disagree a little bit because I, I think that this, I think what Sammy and thus what Steven did when they were younger was pretty extraordinary at that time. Like, I don't think a lot of kids were making movies. I don't think, you know, it's no. not like, you know, I, you know, I Spielberg's, agree. Spielberg's, but- Spielberg's like his, le- the legend of the way he grew up, you know, whether people know about it specifically or not permeated you know culture and young filmmakers i mean i you and i so all the three of us were making movies when we were so real quick chapin just to interject because you seem to know most about i i didn't know anything about his childhood going into this so would you say that this is pretty accurate portrayal no this is exactly yeah it's like like the movie the movie that he makes escape from nowhere is the first that that war movie is the first movie he made yeah you can find it on youtube it's it's his life like and you know like his like Michelle Williams is styled just like his mom looked when she when he was that age and his dad was um and spoiler alert she left her left her dad his dad for his dad's yeah. best friend yeah um so I I, I I I disagree with you there Lee I think that this is a very I think that what he was doing was 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 extraordinary and I think the legend of Spielberg as this guy who, you know, you know, they missed a couple of things. Um, they, <laughs> he left a couple Spielberg of things, out, a couple of his, things. out of his life, like, you know, sneaking onto the universal lot and getting a job essentially. Um, I mean, there's these legends about him that are, are part of the myth of this filmmaker. And, and um, I mean, in some cases he, he sort of sidesteps them, which is probably good, but um yeah, I mean, I was fascinated and super excited to see this because I knew all this, and I would. It's it, I, to me, it's interesting to see a filmmaker like Spielberg, who I feel like you know, after Hook, essentially intellectualized became the you know one of the most intellectual filmmaker you know big time filmmakers working. Like he was, he wasn't really interested in making kids movies anymore. You know, once he had all this clout and. Um, you know, he just made a, he makes adult movies for you know thinking people, and and to go back and make this kind of like extremely personal film about his life is is quite is really interesting to me, especially that it's Spielberg and there's all so, this mythology around. Okay, it. I well, think the, yeah, I think that that is absolutely true, and I think the 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 Spielberg aspect of this movie is hugely important to what makes it so fascinating, and in many ways, what makes it great. But to me, that is a piece. I think in the broader picture of this movie, the filmmaking and the relationships and all of that can be substituted with other things. For example, something like what James Gray did in Armageddon Time, he substituted filmmaking with a different form of art. His 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 uh, stand-in in that movie was a was an artist, like to draw, and. 
Which might have been what he really did. You know? Right, yeah. but I think that I think that that can work. And in this case, he sticks with filmmaking. But my point is that the universality is because that filmmaking could be anything. It can be whatever your outlet was as a kid. And that's what makes this movie kind of appeal to the populist well, you I mean, know, I think more audience, of that, I think, I think but, it's less about that. It's more about that, that question of art versus art versus science, art versus right. family, well, okay. art, that's, like your obsession versus the people that's you there, love. That's there too. And then I, I think you take that, you take that universality, you take that populist viewpoint, um, you take that ability to substitute X, Y, or Z for, for this, but you make it about... <laughs> the myth of Spielberg and the coming of age well, of Spielberg and where he came from and how he became the filmmaker and the person that he is, that just adds another more fascinating layer right, to but the what movie. if you didn't know, like, let's say James Gray directed this, and I'll ask this to you in particular, <laughs> Chapin. Like, I'm serious. You didn't know, like, let's say this was a, like, how much of that Spielberg, Spielberg lore of it enticed you or was the enjoyment for you? Oh, uh, I, w- I don't, I, I wouldn't have been interested part. in I wouldn't have been interested in this movie otherwise. But that's my question, is that from Spielberg's position, does it make sense to do this? Like, if you are if you are Terrence Malick, someone who nowhere near is ex- as, as um, successful as Spielberg, no, not nearly as many people have seen his films, but perhaps a more creative filmmaker. Um, oh my God, it, I would love to see the coming of age of Terrence Malick. Uh, we did, we saw it in Tree of Life. Roam around. Right, but... I guess that's true, and, and that's what I'm saying is like you can take a movie, but and that you doesn't. Can, you can if you if it's not if you're not like if you're not like married to having to tell the story of how you grew up explicitly, you can open it at the beginning of time or during the dinosaur era, and then you know you can have your your mother meet your dead adult son, uh, adult brother. You know, like there's you can do all this creative stuff with with the Fablemans. All I'm saying is he was locked into this this story that he has to tell. And is that the best way to to get across the things that we that he's that he is getting across in this film? I mean, so we're going to get into it because, and I think it is because it did. I mean, I think yeah. that's that's the answer. Like it and again, if we're going to compare it to Armageddon time, it wasn't because it didn't. Like it, it wasn't an effective way to, you know, tell to unpack his his childhood because it wasn't universal, it wasn't relatable, it wasn't interesting. But here, it was. He found a way to engage his audience in the story, engage his audiences, audience in the characters, and I think that's a huge well, part. That while Sammy is Spiel is Steven Spielberg here, Sammy is an interesting character. He's developed. He's layered. He's complex. He's a good well-written movie character yeah, throughout I think, this I think movie. That and that's way pivotal. That you, that you reference when he said he found a way, that way is the family. He, he, he came up with really amazing characters in family dynamics. Yes. And that's, that's kind of really all you need. And he also very expertly used them to the correct degrees yeah and um, he told and, you know, some lines in this like some very like there's moments where i think taken by themselves would feel really kind of broad and a bit silly and i'm thinking of like 
some of like the moments with his bullies or yeah. you know but uh, those those moments did feel that way yeah i don't know they weren't in the context I, I of really, this movie really for liked some reason the, that final act of the movie i think that's going to be that's one of the more polarizing as- parts of this movie that third act when he's in high school but i really enjoyed those scenes i thought it was so good um but i don't want to get ahead of ourselves well let's just get into it we're we're 20 minutes in or an hour and 10 minutes in Oh, I guess All that's how right. long the call's been going. No, I wasn't insulting you. Um, I'll say that for the end of the podcast. Uh, okay, well, here's... here's. Uh, let's start... I don't think this is necessarily a problem, but my big... My sort of pivot point on this movie was Mitzi Fableman. Hmm. I yep. found okay. her to be an awful, awful, awful person. And Spielberg turned oh, her, okay. his own mother into a manic pixie dream girl, which I think is weird. And I thought Michelle Williams was fantastic. So I have all these okay, mixed emotions. Right. Um, well, you, you, you did a little curveball there at the end. I was like, he's about to say Michelle Williams was terrible. And okay, like, so Mitzi Fableman, you thought was a bad person. I... I, I, I Maybe maybe a bad person isn't the right words. I I, I found. But I, her... I mean, I don't think you're in, like totally wrong necessarily. I think he. I think, he, I think she's a he was really able complicated person. That. Yeah, very well. I don't think, I he, think he was okay. portraying her as a bad person. Maybe we should well, work backwards. I thought here. she. I thought she was. <laughs> I mean, on. let's wor- I, let's work backwards here. And, and okay. Michelle Williams, you thought was great. I, I I thought she was magnificent. I mean, this is a this is a character that. Um, <clears throat> I mean, it's it's it has a lot going on inside of her, and she's wrestling with a lot of guilt and a lot of dissatisfaction, and her, the role of women uh, in this time period, like someone who like wants to escape her life and has all these talents and interests, and um, she's clearly stuck. Uh, and, and I think Michelle Williams just brings so many. I mean, as she does to every part, so many layers, so many, um, just. I don't know. I mean, she's not a subtle actress, which I usually like subtlety. No, but, but she's I, I nuanced. Just, like she, she's or she so knows. Yeah, she she understands nuance. So I agree. I so I think this is part, this is a pretty like universal take that it takes a minute to like get on board with Michelle Williams in this. Like that, you know, the first scene she is very like like dreamy in the way she talks and like she says like movies are dreams that you never for and it like takes a second. But I'm a hundred percent with you. I thought she was extraordinary in this role and all of the things you describe Chapin there's no line of dialogue there's no monologue there's no scene really where that's explained to you what's going on with her I mean you get bits and pieces like oh you know she was a great pianist she should have done that she decided not to that like, wasn't a bit in a piece like there's there's whole like scenes describing right, how she should have I know, that but wasn't, you're again, not, it wasn't subtle, but it still was effective. But my point is, in her performance, there's no point where she's like, "I chose this over," like you know what I mean? Like, right? Yeah. It's, her performance is very much like she's she's living in that character, and I think yeah. it's so so well done. Yeah, but uh, despite the fact that there were things that were sort of broad strokes and very on the nose and whole conversations. That were like you said, like oh, he's like me. He's an artist, and and Paul Dano's character being like ah, th- your little hobby there, so, like stuff right. like that. Does it, it didn't matter. But Michelle Williams was so she 
she was so good that she was able to like really put this in put this movie in its own reality ground this movie to whatever spielberg wanted and uh pull off a very complicated and complex character that may be easy to say is a bad person but i don't think it's but that's what i want to get to next now. so we we love so chapin you're with we're all on the same page here that the performance was great but now explain to me your issues with the character because I mean, this other is where the I... obvious like broad well, strokes just get a get a little closer to that mic there jeremy if you could oh i keep going sorry um Look, I mean, she's. I think she's kind of awful. Oh, man. Like I don't she's, know. she's she's she like okay. Other than the, very, like, she's put the very, cheating, put the cheating no, aside. No. She's very self-involved. She's very. Uh, I mean, she's got what four kids, three kid, four kids. She's so she's of, a whore. No, she's but she's <laughs> off in this dream world. I mean, they've agreed. Uh, whatever, whatever. But I think she's Her also mentally are, unstable. She definitely, she definitely is. And, and in a time and, when like mental illness wasn't understood quite as well as we understand it now, I totally get that. But she's just, she's not a good mother. I mean, she, she, she sort of like enriches and 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 helps Sammy kind of like realize his dreams a little bit. But like, there's that, and there's that scene where you know Benny gives him the Bolex. Awesome, that was cool. Um, and he's like, if you if you give up your dream of movie making, that'll kill your mother. I didn't. I don't think she'd care. She seems to be a very just sort of like inward sort of no, narcissist. I disagree with that. I yeah, think she I don't would totally care. agree. I, I think I, that her flaws are certainly evident, but it is it is clearly portrayed to me as a struggle or a challenge that she is faced with in her life. I don't think we're supposed to interpret it necessarily as, as this is not a good person that we shouldn't care about or that okay, like, I well, think a Sammy perfect, shouldn't care about a perfect example. Is I, that that's not it, what I said. That's not what I said. I didn't say you it, shouldn't care about her. I'll, 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 I will tell you this and we'll get to this when I, and you know, what's bothering, what's angering me this week or whatever um, <laughs> corner. Uh, but like this was not this was not a good screening for me. I'll just say, and I was overwhelmed by my distaste for her in this movie. It it was overwhelming for me. Hmm. Yeah, it almost sounds like personal, Chapin. Maybe it was because like what I was gonna say is like a, a perfect example, a, a scene of like her character is when she takes the kids to see a tornado. Like she gets them in the car. And like clearly, she's having some sort of yeah, mental breakdown. breakdown. But at the same time, I don't think it's out of her. It it's like seems genuinely that she wanted to like show the kids something unique and have a, a unique experience by chasing a tornado. I, I you know like I think it was a good example of like the where she was torn. She thought it like she wanted her kids to have this experience, but also had didn't have the the capacity to realize the danger that she's putting her children in. I mean, I, I I think this conversation just speaks to the complexity of the character and how well it's written and how well, I mean, I think it's a well-written character, but I just think Michelle Williams deserves 90% of the credit of what comes across here. I totally agree with that. There are very few actors that I think can pull this off. And she has a way about her that I think works. She does. It's on a smaller scale. 
and the the tone of the movie doesn't doesn't vary enough to really make it a fair comparison but she she does similar similar things in Manchester by the Sea where she is just like a a damaged person that you know has has gone through the worst imaginable trauma in that case and it's all in her performance like the the writing of the character is is right there it's plain as anything you, you know her her children died and she has to somehow live with that like that's very broad and obvious but she finds this nuance and this subtlety that not a lot of actors can can achieve and she does the same kind of thing here so the fact that we're having a conversation about whether or not you know she's somebody that you can get behind whether she's somebody that you know cares about anybody about herself like it just speaks to the complexities that I, she brings i agree with that but what i, I guess the, the problem that i not the problem but the what i wonder about this movie is is like where does it come down with her like in, in some ways no, I, I, I don't see, it, I, I guess it doesn't. See, Chapin, like, I don't, we didn't have the same issues with her, so I don't think that's as important. How, how but I can think you not? How, how it how came can you up not? to She me brings is... a monkey home, and it's it, it's like, oh, isn't she whimsical? She brought a monkey home. What yeah, a monkey case. supposed to be whimsical. I think she's, like, I think she's I think a damaged Spielberg's person. wrestling like, with his relationship with his mother in this. I think he's wrestling with how he feels about her. And I think oh, he I don't doesn't... even know if it's that. I think he realizes that his mother was wrestling with things her whole life. I, I agree. It was an I unhappy agree. person. Yeah. Like you, you see, like she breaks down basically in like in the the, the divorce scene, and I want to talk about that scene and that extended sequence because there's a couple things within that that I think are are definitely worth discussing, but she like breaks down to basically you, you learn that she's just an unhappy person and she has all these other issues with her mental health, but she's unhappy. So she tries all these things. She tries bringing a monkey home. Like that doesn't make her a bad person. It makes her a confused, unhappy, unstable. Like I think there's a, I mean, I don't, <laughs> we could launch into a whole conversation about mental health right now <laughs> with this and like, all the things that are really wrong when we think somebody isn't isn't a good person, and I think all that's right, well, captured not, amazingly I mean, here. All right. Well, now you're making me feel bad. Well, you don't have to, Chapin. It's not about making you feel bad. It's how you interpreted the character. It's interesting that it came across that way for you. But know what I, I didn't like it's... is uh, the how where where that friendship ends up. I like I really enjoyed like I didn't I, even understand it but I was like yeah this is Benny he's my best friend he lives with us and I was like oh that's cool that's so nice and I was like oh this is kind of good they're just portraying two best friends on screen hanging out living with each other I thought it was awesome and then <laughs> <was just> like <laughs> and then I was like oh, of course this has to ha this uh, other part has to happen that's sure. why I was kind of asking you Chapin if that part was real because well, I'm like what I was curious about why they left out is my understanding of that situation in real life was that they didn't, they didn't know about it right away. Like, I mean, I mean, they must've, but like that initially when they're, when they're the family separated, they thought it was the father's fault. And just for like for years and years and years, he just kind of quietly. Well that, yeah, that's true. He didn't talk to his father. That's for not like nearly as cinematically years. interesting as figuring it out on film well young young spielberg figuring it out on film there all right 
Right, which was great. But but Chapin, move us along here. I guess I'm just saying. I guess my big problem is, and again, like I don't, <laughs> I don't want it to get too personal and too like, you know, issuey or political. But like this, the movie seems to like be really wrapped up in her sorrow and her situation, and we get one little moment with Bert where he glances at a photo and sees Mitzi with Benny, and it's it's hurt. This guy. You know, he's not the world's most communicative person. He's, you know, a 60s dad, which we know the sort of archetype for that. But he sacrifices so much, and the the film gives him just a little, just a tiny I moment. I don't think so. I disagree with that, too. Mm. I think I think it gives him plenty of screen Chapin, time. I think, as I Jeremy think... says, you're... as There's <laughs> a thing where... Chapin, you're, you're, you're thinking outside the frame. Jeremy Fisk, Walter Murch. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I, 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 you, you have to agree with me, Lee, right? Like, uh, Bert Fableman gets a ton well, of screen time and, and... No, he does, but does he get... But he, does the no, he's... Dano is almost just as good. I mean, not quite, but, you know. So, so he I is... I don't, I don't agree with that. Well, okay. Let me speak. <laughs> I'm going to settle this. Paul Dano's good in this he's not even close to as good as michelle williams nor is he given the the i want to say credit but i don't mean it in the sense that like he's not given the 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 credit within the movie that michelle williams is like it's there's not it's not as much about him as it is about mitzi fableman and i think that's intentional because he is sort of the quieter you know more conservative you know, voice within the family. And I think that puts him sort of on the outs, you know, as an outsider, especially in the eyes of, of Sammy, who, you know, is very artistic. So that's done intentionally, but I think, yeah, Paul Dano's good in this movie, but, and I think he serves the, the Burt Fableman character really well, but this movie, like at times wants to be, Michelle Williams, Mitzi Fableman's movie. And, you know, that's why I think, like, you know, she's campaigning for a Best Actress Oscar here, even though she's very much a supporting role. We'll have to sort that out for the for the fixies. I thought she was nominated for uh, supporting for Golden Globes. Am I wrong? No, she's campaigning all for uh, leads. Um, I'll get into it for but well, yeah, we'll have to sort that out for the fixies. I mean, I think it's certainly a supporting role, but um, at times this is very much a you know Mitzi Fableman's story as much as it is Sammy's, and that that's never the case for for Bert Fableman for Paul Dano. So in that case, I think you're he is very much like a lesser aspect of this movie, of course. But I think that's I think that's I don't think intentional. Like, that's, argue that. that's very much like how this how these characters are drawn that you're you have the kind of very omnipresent Mitzi and then the very like by the book 60s husband, father, Bert here. Well, I mean, we're kind of ignoring our main character a little bit here. So I don't know what that says about what you guys think of uh, Sammy um, in the performance here, but I'd love to. Uh, Are we going, we going into him now? Gabriel, I'd love Gabriel to hear LaBelle. About that. Yeah. Astounding. I thought he was, thought he was fantastic. Yeah. Incredible. 
Okay, good. <laughs> like, I don't know how Spielberg does this in getting these types of performances. So, Gabriel Abel, amazing. Also, Matteo Zorian, who plays the even younger one, also really good. And he just had a great look with his blue eyes and yeah, just and but my God, I thought Gabriel LaBelle was as good as Michelle Williams was. I think he was the best performance in this movie. Oh, I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go that far, but I think he was he he served this story really well, and he was able to pull off the scenes that needed him to. Oh my God, act that's under, unlike that's underselling him, like, unlike Seth Rogen, who I a thought thousand was terrible. Miles. Oh, Rogan was fine. I thought he was bad. There were some some scenes where he actually had to act, and I was like, Ugh. he would. He just got. He just looked out of place with uh, against these other actors. Um, I thought. I think you're underselling LaBelle's performance. Like, this is not somebody who just served the story. Like his his his, his the natural delivery of of dialogue that he had. Like his presence. Like it, it was all like great screen presence. Great line deliveries, you know, really, really like commanded the screen, like filled that role of someone who is a leader while on a film set, but also, you know, very lost within his, you know, home life. All of those things captured so perfectly. I thought he was incredible in this movie. I mean, I thought he was really, really good, but I, I, Michelle Williams to me stole the, stole the show. So, um, Chapin. Uh, I think I fall down closer to Lee. Um, I think, I think he's, yeah, I think, uh, uh, well, one, he, I mean, the movie is his story and he, I think it's very easy to, I think you witness this in, in Armageddon time. I mean, that kid is, I thought that kid was quite good in Armageddon Mm -hmm. time, but you, the movie overshadows him. He can't see, you know, he can't hold up, you know, which is very common for kids. And this, this young man, I don't know how old he is, but he, um, he really held his own. Um, yeah, and no, he, he was I, great. All right. The, he was the, great. The, the one thing I'd like, I think it would be very easy. And maybe a lot of this credit goes to way more Spiel- pressure on LaBelle playing Steven Spielberg than the other kid playing James Gray. Sure. But this, this guy, you know, really like, I think found a lot of subtlety and, you know, didn't overplay, you know, That's it could what be, I love. Yep. Could be, I mean, you know, Michelle, there's time when Michelle Williams kind of overdoes it a little bit. And, um, uh, and ultimately, I think her performance is a little bit better. But he really has that the subtlety throughout the whole thing, and doesn't like you know get too crazy and and you know lets himself get overly emotional. And I think he's just I think that works just so nicely to sort of keep us you in line that, with Sammy. You see that especially in the high school scenes, I think, where like yes, you are handed some cliche moments and some cliche scenes, but he is never cliche like his this is where like his line deliveries impress me so much like just like a, a simple one line where he would just be like okay leave me alone or whatever like i i thought that stuff was was so natural and like just well beyond you know his experience as an actor which is zero when it comes to feature films he's had some work according to imdb but you know he's essentially this essentially is a debut performance and yeah, I just think like he, I I was so so impressed and and got more impressed as the movie went on, and it became more and more about him and Michelle Williams' character was a little bit left behind in that third act, and he just blew me away with that with that performance and I think carried this movie and like just 
the way that he could differentiate his emotions between, you know, a, a pretty, you know, hectic home life and, you know, the calmness of his film sets, you know, was a really impressive piece of acting and also really pivotal to understanding, you know, the development of Steven Spielberg as a filmmaker. Like, this is where he belongs. This is where he is comfortable and where he can, you know, lead. And okay. we we saw where that obviously ended up. So I want to move us along here. Uh, that, But kind of continuing with that, this the, the movie sort of culminates in what I'd like to call almost the finale. There's a sort of a tag on, which we should also talk about, um, where uh, Sammy presents... Um, a film that he made uh, from the senior skip day that he filmed uh, and with the help of some of his friends that he cuts together and, and sort of plays for all the seniors at the end of the year. And this is basically our finale of the movie. Um, and Before we, we get to that exact part. Oh, no, because it, oh, it ties into it and it also talks a little bit about the performances. Before he, before he shows it to his school, he shows it to his sister Right after the divorce scene, right, his sister played by Julia Butters, Julia Butters of um, Once Upon a Time, Once in Upon Hollywood. a Time in Hollywood. Um, can we talk about how good Julia Butters was in this movie, and especially oh. in that scene? She was okay. Oh, I, you I, guys are nuts! Like why that you scene. You guys, I haven't said a word. Yeah, because I know You're you agree with Chapin. I can tell. I'm just waiting for you guys to get to the point here. I just wanted to point her out. I thought, like, this is one of the smallest roles in the movie. It's almost too small to even, like, reward it. But I thought she was incredible. Yeah, I think that scene is an example of where the Sammy performance could have gone. Overly too much, overly emotional. Um, so I disagree with you there, Lee. Anyways, uh, so we end up with this scene, and, and it's 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 strange because uh, Sammy is, is having a – he's just sort of blown it with his girlfriend – um, he's, he's having an emotional moment as, as all artists do, as all brilliant directors do, you know, uh, where you're showing them their, your film and you're having a meltdown while you see it. We've all been there. Um, and, um, then he connects later with, um, it's clear in the movie that he's made, uh, he's sort of heroicized, which I don't think is a word. Um, the jock who he had issues with, um, when he first started at the school. And the jock confronts him at the end and I think um, is sort of mad at him that he can't live up to what he's created. And, and I don't know, it was, it, was, it's a, it was an interesting story and not really where I thought it was going to go. Uh, and so I'm interested in y'all, you, the two of you's opinions on this. And since, Lee, you and I have been dominating the, the, the podcast, Jeremy, why don't you start, please? <laughs> can you say that again? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> What did you think of the final scene when the jock breaks down after the? I already referenced. I already talked about this. Um, I think so. <clears throat> like I thought, I you were listening that whole time. Why did he need to repeat it? <laughs> well, I was, uh, I was, I was thinking of my next question. Um, <laughs> uh, anyhow, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah. So I, I thought it was effective. I thought for some reason like if if you take that scene in a vacuum i'd probably have a lot of problems with it i would probably say like it's overwritten two on the nose like we've seen this before 
the bully is just you know um emotionally weak uh, like yeah, the, the bully is a little too but then stands up for the like other kid and like yeah yeah but for some reason in this movie and with those characters it absolutely worked for me and, and i was just like i was ready to like scene. clap what and labelle's performance in that scene i think that's a huge part of it i mean i like, think i love i love that how that scene is going like you have the jock breaking down he's just like you why did you do this why did you film me like that i can't live up to that and and sammy fableman's just like uh what do you want me to say man you're an asshole like, <laughs> I don't give a shit what you think. Like, he just plays it so naturally yeah, that it's hard not to, like, kind of other, enjoy that scene. These other two, these other two like, caricatures of bullies, like, look realistic because he's so good and so natural in it. Yeah. Because both those bullies are, like, so over the top. I also, I mean, you can't help but love, I mean, there's, so what... I appreciate it is that there is there are really only two very obvious meta moments in this movie and one of them is you know when he says you better not tell anybody that I cried in the hallway and he's just like okay I won't maybe I'll make a movie about it and then you know they they right, laugh together be. now supposedly that that guy in real life after jaws or something called Spielberg <laughs> Like he looked him his, up and called he had him. his number, and he's just like, "Hey, like, oh, you did it! You became a filmmaker." And he's like, "Oh, what?" Are, and he's just like, it's "Oh, yeah, like, yeah." Who's and he's this? like, "What? What are you doing?" And he's like, "And apparently, the guy became a police officer." And Spielberg's like, "That's the last time I ever talked to him." But <laughs> like, that's just yeah, because oh. Spielberg had him killed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, but I guess what my question is: What do you? <clears throat> my takeaway from that scene was kind of like. I mean, it's strange, right? Because <clears throat> in a different context, you could look at that scene and be like, is this Sammy falling in love with this jock? You know, like he makes him look really sexy and heroic. I think it. I think it's there <clears throat> to show how good of a the, <laughs> Spielberg's proving how good of a filmmaker he was at that See, time. I, your, your movie needs a hero. Like, I think what it is, is the I think it's like the the connecting power of film and art um because I, I you know what like something sort of similar happened to me when i was making movies when i was like in fifth or sixth grade like you know it was you know perceived as being kind of nerdy and then you like cast one of the jocks in the roles and then you're the coolest kid in school you know like there is like a there is a sh i think there's just something that speaks to the populist aspect of what you're talking about jeremy and the way people look at spielberg's movies but he's also talking about how film can bring people together both in the creation of it and how we experience it and and all that and although you know <clears throat> the jock was was sort of an unwilling participant he didn't really give right. consent to do that um you know they he immortalized this guy and at first his reaction was i i'm never gonna live up to this which he sounds like he didn't <laughs> um <laughs> but uh but then like you know what was that? And I think I think there are I don't know, that that just that rang true to me. That was very that felt very I connected I with that on a very personal level. That like you you know, when you're you're that's sort of how we all got movies made when we were younger, right? Like like people love to be a part of it, even if it's just like lending us your house to Yeah, shoot everybody for wanted days. to come over yeah. and be in it and like right. there were snacks out. <laughs> right. We got snacks now. We got, we got snacks, snacks now. Though. 
But do you guys find it a little... I mean, I kind of am playing devil's advocate here a little bit, but, like, convenient that the culmination of Sammy's story here, that he happened to be able to put together a film to show his whole school and that his bully then became the star. And, like, it. it's a little bit of a... I don't know. I it mean, maybe weird, it's a. It was a cheat. It was cheesy for sure. It, it, it's a little bit of a cheat. <laughs> maybe, yes. but I don't know. I feel like that. We're. I think. I, I think that's a classic devil's advocate take, though. Like, yeah. because it works within the, you know, structure of the movie. It, it works, but like, I. It, it also. It. 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 Uh, but I mean, that, even that though, occurred I, to me. Let's just I, say that occurred to me. In the, I agree. Yeah. Like you have you have the dinner scene, which is also just like a spectacular scene before before he films that where his girlfriend who is uh, named monica played by chloe east <laughs> conveniently says like my dad has this awesome camera that you can use you should shoot that like it's all set up so so well for him so i i get what you're saying but it it's not out of place in the movie at all like you need no. to get to that point um what did you guys think of Chloe East, her performance and the character she plays as his girlfriend, I loved the, it. the religious yeah, I girlfriend. Yeah. A lot. I thought so it was fun. so funny. Like there was <laughs> no reason to really have like that that quirky, unique, and uh, different of a character. I, I just, but I just love. But it it was great. I I don't know. Maybe this just like speaks to like my relationship with religion, having like grown up and gone to you know religious school christian schools and catholic schools and stuff and just having seen so much of it i just love the like hypocrisy of the uh, of the character in the sense that like we have to pray before we fuck <laughs> like, like it's like yeah, no i thought she was great i thought the the whole character was great um what did you guys think of Spielberg's self-referential moments and how many of those did like stood out to you or were they not distracting were they distracting or like which it, what like I mean they like, I, like the kids riding on the bikes in yeah, ET the um, <clears throat> um there was a few of them I think there's kids riding in bikes in a lot of his movies <laughs> yeah that's true um no I mean because I think that's kind of what I was not what I was getting at but a little bit what what the my opening question references a little bit is that you've got these moments that were important in his life, like biking around the suburbs, like it was for millions of kids in the sixties. And, you know, he would take those moments and lovingly recreate them in these movies that changed kids' lives in the eighties. You know, like I think, and of course, like it's almost like this is where it came from. You know, I don't think it was, it was like fucking Tarantino. Yeah. I didn't, it didn't, none of that bothered me. I mean, I think, but it's like, Oh yeah, that's nice. That's kind of where that came from. Um, I I had two um two questions for you guys the the Judd Hirsch scene Uncle Boris scene yeah um you know Chapin you said maybe like you know the Mitzi Fableman character was a the 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 standout issue that you may have had with this movie I think I, it's I, a smaller scale but the Judd Hirsch sequence felt like it would, might have been unnecessary um I agree it's a, in it's this a movie. little bit it's a little bit like I think critics always accuse Spielberg of like trusting his audience with stuff. And then at, uh, at a sort of an ill-advised moment explaining everything. Explains it all. Yeah. yeah. And that moment, um, I, I like that scene. I, I didn't have any problem with it, but yeah, I mean, I think you could have cut it and it would have had no impact on the movie whatsoever. Um, so the other thing I wanted to ask you guys about is 
the sentimentality or lack thereof in this movie because obviously like you know overly being overly sentimental is like a, a critique of Spielberg throughout his career and you know you certainly have a movie ripe for sentimentality here I don't think this movie was all that sentimental no yeah I feel like it could have used a little bit more like yeah, I, I think, think so that too. like it, it zagged a little bit here where like people are saying that this is like you know Spielberg is still being too sentimental and like I just is that just because it's about his life if anything it's like not all that sentimental about his life no. yeah it, no. every frame every moment it, it really sort of to me came across as is a as a inner battle of him like trying to reconcile who he became why he became that and his the difficulties that got him there yeah and i don't I, think I, that I, sounds very sentimental i don't want to go back over it again and i think you still misinterpret me Lee, but I, I i do think one of the reasons why you could say it's not sentimental is he doesn't have like a reckoning with his mother you know like well no he does yeah that's true they 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 i mean i think we're, we're we understand what happens and that you know it's kind of her fault um there well, I go again. You know what? But That's like, actually but, a really good you know, point. She she doesn't. They don't have a moment where they resolve things, and which he I, does with his father. Yeah, the scene's not there. Right, like it's a right. it's for sure feels like a bit and of a missing scene. Just because I know, again, thinking outside the frame, Jeremy Fisk, Walter Milch, um, <laughs> uh I I do know that like that they his parents like remain separated, but like they spend a lot of time together yeah, we're, became, as, we're still as, cl- very close as yeah. close as, as yeah a, with as with adults. benny <laughs> with spielberg um they all no, got with, it on. with like with his friend that she married like they all yeah. stayed friends it's very strange it was, it was a three-way thing sort yeah. of a sort of a menage type situation right god we keep talking about of a um but yeah so uh anyways so it's not i think he had this was a strained relationship but i think his parents were very important to him um, you know, as he became famous, and um, so okay, guys, uh, I'm, I'm very happy with quick. this conversation because a lot of a lot of the reviews and like the discussions I've heard about it, it's like, oh, it's so brilliant that you know Mitzi is the artist and Bert is the scientist, and like Spielberg needed both of those influences, and like I feel like that's such a simple way to critique this movie. We dug deeper. I liked it. Can we I just into, say my one of my favorite weeds. scenes? And we haven't mentioned it is the John Ford scene. Oh, okay. we have I mean, to talk about that final I, scene. I got it. I, I mean, another criticism criticism of Spielberg is that he has bad endings. I think this is the best Spielberg ending I've ever seen. Like, I love that John. I Ford fucking ending. cackled at that last yeah. shot. Yeah. Oh, when he moves the camera. Yes. I mean, so that's the other really like obvious meta moment when he right right he fixes the the horizon the horizon. Line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Really? I loved that. I <laughs> now so we okay. Got, we got, it's we, better yeah. than the final shot in Saving Private Ryan, but I don't know that right. it's like better than the end of Schindler's List. I don't, let's okay. <laughs> well, I mean, it's okay, but it's more cinematic. You got you got the end boy. of Schindler's List when they're walking and putting the stones on his grave. Yeah, that's yeah, more that's, like that's, that's almost that's not cinematic. That's more like mm, I don't know emotional I guess not cinematic. Yeah, okay. Apparently the the shake was done in post. No, it wasn't. It was the reframing. The, so they moved the camera, but the, the little wobble. So he kept having his he kept having con. I mean, um, Janusz do it, and but Janusz doesn't he, operate. Well, whatever the camera operator, he kept having him do it, and then he said, "This was on the Directors Guild interview," and then um, 
he moved, then he did it, and then they had to add the little shake and pose to it to make it. They couldn't figure out how to shake the camera. I just think he said, like, I, I, you can listen to the interview. I forget exactly what he said, but there was a reason they did it in post. Still works. All right, should um, we get to our tops? Well, wait, hold on. What about fucking David Lynch's John Ford? Oh, yeah. I mean, he's great. Awesome. That whole scene so was good. good. <laughs> so I just good. wanted to okay. mention it. Great. All right. So the moment we've all been waiting for to rank Steven Spielberg's movies. Now, we had um, a bunch of ties here. So uh, we had we had um, three ties. So we're going to have to break those ties. Um, we're going to do that as a group. But this is a combination oh, of okay. all of our. Um, so we have 11 movies uh, because of those ties. Um, and our number 11 is. The Fablemans, and that is on okay. there only because it was on Lee's list. So it wasn't on either of yours? No. Hmm. Uh, not currently. So then really it didn't make the top 10. It's number 11. <laughs> no, it's tied with E.T., which was okay. only on the list because it was on Jeremy's list. Okay. So Je- that's interesting because E.T. was on the initial list I sent you, Chapin. But I had I had to send you an updated list because I've been trying to re- revisit some uh, Spielberg movies. Yeah. Um. Where was uh, where were these movies on the list? Fablements was what my number eight. They were well, they were both eights because there eights. was three points each. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, coming in at number nine on its own here is Catch Me If You Can, which was which, my number nine, which I be- which did not make your list, Lee. I don't think. And, no, it didn't end up making it. Um, it was my number nine and Jeremy's number nine. So, so Catch Me If You Can. I I love Catch Me If You Can. It's like well, one of Spielberg's funnest movies. And but as I was thinking about it and going through, and then when I like had revisited a couple, it's it's not necessarily one of his more impressive movies, and I think that's where it slipped a little for me. Um, no, should we not discuss these as we? Go you know, I, I wanted to. Well, we can we can get to that. And uh, as a sort of a side note, and it's interesting that you say that there was a Robert Zemeckis Pinocchio adaptation starring Tom Hanks that <laughs> has made. No ripples that came out this year, so it's I, I kind of know what you mean, but there, um, I don't know why that I thought about that. Okay, uh, tied for number eight or number seven um, is Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Munich. Munich is all the way down at now, seven and eight. Now that now that those bo- made, those three movies made all those two movies made all three of our lists. Um, it was num Munich was number six for me. Uh, Last Crusade was number eight. Uh, Munich was number five for you, Lee. Last Crusade was number 10. Jeremy Munich was number 10 for you. That's crazy. And uh, Indiana Jones was number six. That's also crazy. Where was um, Munich for you, Chapin? Five. Six. Five. Sorry, six. Six? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it was five for me? Yeah. Um, Last Crusade was one that I, I just revisited. I hadn't seen Last Crusade since probably the first time I saw it. And so I had to revisit that. And like, man... Like, I typically not, like that movie a little bit more than Raiders, but I'm. Oh my god! So that was literally yeah. what I was just gonna say. Like, yeah. I, there was a part of me that was just like, I think I liked this better. I don't think it is better. No. But like, God, it's so fun. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing about those Indiana Jones movies. Not only is it fun, it's nostalgic. It like, it hits every Spielberg box. I, I've got to be also honest. I like. I, I apparently I don't really know why. Like, I like Temple of Doom too. Makes, I never it's, did. I it's never. It's so weird, but it's I like never did. it's the never same. Never hit that thing. same tone that the no, other two yeah. did. Um, okay, so number six conveniently is Raiders. Hold on, we um, got to talk about Munich. Okay, so Munich 
12 Medic was number seven or eight uh, tied with Last Crusade with S uh, 12 points. Um, that's my number five. That's in my top five. And I've I only seen, seen Munich. I, that's, this is the thing is I've only seen Munich once. See, but, me too. Oh, and I feel like but, maybe it would move up. Maybe Fablemans would take it over. Oh, see, I, 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 I would be worried. I'm a little worried Munich will move down, but. <laughs> well, I'm at 10. It's 10 for me. Like, yeah, just barely made the list for you. Um, See, I moved. I put it at five. I wasn't totally convinced it belonged there, but I was hoping it would maybe cause some controversy. I feel like there's like you have more hype in your head uh, over Munich than you actually have. I mean, I I, so that I will honestly say. So hold on a second. I want to just look at something here because let let me let me just before I speak. speak, We we all have roughly the same top fives, except there's one film that differs in everybody's list except mine. So. Okay, so that makes sense. I can definitely say this for certain now. Until the oh. Fablemans, Munich is the last Spielberg movie that blew me away. Is that on the internet somewhere, or what do you? <laughs> what do you? What do you mean? It's... You just Google that. No, I wanted to look <laughs> what, was what was the last between. movie that blew Lee away. <laughs> I wanted to look what was between. It definitely wasn't War Horse. You it wasn't to Indi- say away. It wasn't yeah, did, Indiana Jones and the Crystal Warhorse Skull. It wasn't Lincoln, Bridge of Spies, The Post, Ready Player One, West Side Story, none of those. Like, So Munich, you go all the way back to 2005 before there was another Spielberg movie that just like I saw and I was Blue like, this is this is incredible. Away. So what's next, Shapin? Okay, number... Okay, so, so I just wanted to sort of tell you guys that was... Those are all sort of... That that top seven or the 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 seven and and under were like twelve points and le- and lower. So now we kind of okay. jump quite a bit into. Or I'm sorry, uh, Schindler's so Raiders is number six. Okay, I think probably a good place. I'm surprised um, Indiana Jones. Both Indiana Joneses are in before yeah. the top five. Come on, yeah. guys. I mean that makes sense. So for me. The top si- after the top six, it was a pretty precipitous drop in terms of like my feelings for the movies. So uh, I, I I wouldn't agree with that necessarily, but um, okay, number five. This seems a little bit low, but Schindler's List is number five with nineteen points. It's a brilliant low film. is in too close to the top, or low is in no, it's low. it should it be should higher. Be, like, it should I, I be think, higher. Well, I clearly think it should be higher, but. I think that was my number uh, and Jeremy, four, that's your, that's your fault because you put it number seven. Yeah. Uh, that's because you hate Jewish people. Um, <laughs> no, I said, isn't was, Schindler's List a brilliant film? Lee, it was number four for you. It was number three for me. Hmm. Um, so you're, you're the most, you're the least anti-Semitic. Least anti-Semitic. Still anti-Semitic, but the least anti-Semitic. <laughs> um, next, on next week's podcast, Kanye West is joining us. <laughs> Um, holy shit we got Kanye West yeah what a good guest for our first guest yes Uh, okay so guys do you know how many listeners we'd get we do have to break the ties here but we'll go back to that okay Um, so Schindler's List uh, followed closely by uh, number four two points wait wait, number five right oh no no you're right sorry sorry sorry. yeah number four alright Lee just I don't like not being in charge (laughs) I know. What if I did the voting all wrong? What if I did? What if I counted wrong? I bet you were just freaking out. Number four, Jurassic Park, the same oh, year, nineteen ninety three. That's Jeremy's uh, fault too. I don't know that it's his fault. Um, Jurassic Park was five for me, 
two for you, Lee, and five on Jeremy's list. Oh, so you guys both had it too low. But at least I moved it up ahead of you guys. Perhaps. Now, here's where it gets really interesting, guys. Uh, Tied for number two, uh, Minority Report and Saving Private Ryan. Ooh, how do we determine that winner? Uh, and of course, number one is Jaws. Uh, was it? It was all our number, number one. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So where was? So where was uh, Saving Private Ryan on everybody's list? That was my number six. Uh, it I was think. correctly uh, on Jeremy and I's list at number two. It was incorrectly on your list at number six. Hmm. So that would mean two of us has a number two. That should probably be where it. it, it where was? So what was Minority? So Port? Minority Report was four on my list, three on Lee's list, and four on Jeremy's list. Well, I mean, yeah, yeah. it's pretty so clear means, what the tiebreaker shows. So it should yeah. be t- same for Ryan two, two, and then Minority Report three. Okay, so let's but go that back. That sucks because that puts Jurassic Park at four. Come on, guys. So Which let's is right go about where I had it. Yeah. Well, so let's, let's go talk back. about these a little bit because. Oh, well, hold on. We just got. He's going to do the list first. again. The whole okay. list. Okay. So we got to break the tie. E.T. and Fablemans for number 10. Fablemans. Uh, I have to go E.T. because it's eight on my list. Oh, I'm going to break the tie. I, I really don't like E.T. It's like my least. It's like one of my least favorite Spielberg. So I'll have to. I guess I'll go Fablemans, number 10. All right. Okay. Okay, Um, so the next tie is Last Crusade in Munich. I mean, to me, that's got to be Munich, but I'm not really sure how we got here. So what are this? Where do we have these ranked? Uh, That's eight. That's sort of so that would be for for eight. So who I had Munich at five. You had it at six, right? I had it at ten. Are you talking to me, Lee? You had it at five. I had it at six. Jeremy had it at ten. Jeremy was the one who kind of so that that feels like. And then Last Crusade is what I had Crusade at ten. I had it at six. Where did you have Last Crusade, Chapin? Uh, eight. So that feels like Munich yeah, is ahead because we have a five and six for Munich. Munich and an eight and ten for Last Crusade. So that should go. Okay. Munich wins that tiebreaker. Okay. All right. So go uh, down ten to one again. Okay. Jaws. We're gonna give it to Saving Private Ryan, Minority one Report, Jurassic Park, Schindler's List, Raiders, Munich, Last Crusade, Catch Me If You Can, and The Fablements. Okay, I like that list. I want to talk about a, the, some of those top ones. What what we're on? I'm curious what we're on some of our what are on our list that didn't make it. Sure, I will go through that. Well, we we went we got a couple of them. Uh, my number ten was Bridge of Spies. That was the one that wasn't on everybody's list. Um, Lee, you had War of the Worlds on on your yeah, list. Yeah, so I just rewatched that, and and that's where like that bumped Catch Me If You Can off because War of the Worlds is so well made. One of the worst. 30 second I, I, one of the l- worst last 30 seconds of a movie ever in the history of movies also not one of tom cruise's best i gotta but, be honest i think that's crazy to put that on over um catch me if you can but it is so well done when was the last time you guys saw that i watched that movie all the time just hoping that it's better than it actually is it's so well done i, I probably <clears throat> haven't seen it since it came out um uh, Jeremy, you had E.T. and The Terminal. Uh, what? No, I didn't. Oh, just shut up. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> um, oh, we could have done a whole other podcast. <laughs> even more interesting, so if we've covered all those, 
Uh, and mine was, of course, Bridge of Spies. The, what we, of course, haven't talked about are the omissions. Nobody had um, Close Encounters on here. Um, so nobody, I... Can't I feel like I have to rewatch. Like yeah. some of them were like, I I feel like to put them on, I need to rewatch it to justify. Well, so Chapin, I thought AI was going to be on your list. Yeah, I thought about it. I thought about it. It's it's not. It's just to me, it's just not as. I think that movie's better. Really movie overrated. It's it's a very interesting movie, uh, and I think would have like, been better if, I, if Kubrick did it. I mean, it's just Pinocchio. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, um, that's what I tell you guys. Like my um, my number eight so far this year is is Robert Zemeckis' Pinocchio, starring uh, your favorite movie of the year. Yeah. Um, what else are we missing on here? Lincoln. Um, Lincoln. I was surprised it was not on your list, Jeremy. I'm glad yeah, you I, came around on that one. I thought um, about it, but again, that was one that was like every. I think you guys got in my head on that one. Well, I, I loved it when I, I first saw it too. I then I rewatched like I it. I was like, this is awful. <laughs> Yeah, because I haven't um, seen it in the theater. So, yeah, I think that's about right, it. So let's talk um, about Saving Private Ryan and Minority Report, which, you know, obviously we've talked plenty about those movies, but that was the t- the two and three. Just just as a side note, that Pinocchio movie cost $150 million. <laughs> I watched Sorry. Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, which was... Wait, they perfect. both had a Pinocchio this year? Mm-hmm. Well, Guillermo del Toro's is a stop-motion animation one. <sighs> um... So Saving Private Ryan's lower on my list. I watched it recently. I watched it when I had COVID uh, a couple months back. Um, you know, it's the set. The it falls for the same issues that are pretty well documented at this point. Um, you know, it's obviously like a incredible achievement. Um, I don't know. You, it's awfully low on your list. Yeah. I, can I can I confess something? I I put it. I put. I, I really. I put it at six below Munich because I wanted to. Stir Just some things up. Okay. okay that's <laughs> I, just, I wanted to make the list more But it's not real. That's not really where he has. But it. I mean, it would still probably only be at five. Like, it would only be probably maybe one ahead of it. Like, I've seen Saving Private Ryan, Saving Private Ryan, a hundred times. I've seen Munich once, and I put Munich ahead of it. That's probably that's, not. That's interesting. Accurate. Yeah. But now no one's ever going to listen to any of our lists again. My one through four is. I hadn't still even seen the, the movie, though. and I put it at number one. It's still wild it's still card. Jaws, Jurassic Park. Minority Report and Schindler's List one through four, um, so it wouldn't have been a lot higher for me. It still would have, um, I mean, it would have broken the tie, I guess. But um, in Minority Report, where did you guys have that? Ooh, I had it at number. Jeremy had it at four. four. I had it. We both had it at four. Oh, okay, and I had it at three. So we're we're on the same page there. And did we end up doing the pod for that? We, we did. did. Yeah, yeah, right? Yep. Okay, so you that's can check out I'd the recently, Minority... That's how I'd recently seen it. You can check out the Minority Report podcast um, to hear our thoughts on that one. Okay, well, we're we're really running late here, so let's go to the categories. Lee, I don't ever remember the categories, so you Yeah, so we'll go real quick. Character you'd most like to have a drink with? I mean, I think Sammy, right? Or would you rather have one with Mitzi? Chapin, clearly not. I feel like no. it, I don't know what would happen between me and Mitzi, you know? Yeah, you gotta be careful. Yeah, be careful there. Um, I think I right, want to have it with Benny, to be honest. Even though is there a best acting moment here? Is it the dance in the in the headlights no. from no, Michelle Williams? Think, is it like that. what is it? Is, is there's a lot of there are a lot of moments in this movie. 
I don't know why this sticks out to me, and it shouldn't be a Paul Dano moment, but it's that moment uh, when they're both living in that like yeah. L.A. apartment, and that he, the, you can tell Paul Dano just sort of gets to that point where he's just like, whatever, whatever you want to do, I'm supportive without saying it. Yeah, I think that to me might be it. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, is there a worst acting moment? Yes, yeah, Jeremy, Seth you Rogen. seem to not like Seth, Seth Rogen. Rogen. Yeah, oh, he, there was. The I moment, liked him. In. I thought he was fine. Oh, it was the moment after he gave him the Bolex in the shop, and that that whole thing of it'll break your mother's heart. That that whole the whole exchange. I literally turned to Sarah and went like, acting. Because oh, so this is the movie. So... That's the hey, I'm in a movie moment. We don't yeah, get those. Right. <laughs> like it just was so over the top and not part of this movie or this cast. All right, cinematic jerk off moment. Ooh, there has to be. I mean, probably the, probably the dancing in the headlights. Yeah, that might be. It. I mean, that was or an... or the little Spielberg Sammy kid where uh, first going to a movie theater and it projecting up on his yeah. eyes. Oh, you know what? You know what actually was the editing sequences. I when he discovers were, the yeah. when he discovers the, the cheating was really well yeah. done. Um, yeah, there's a lot in this movie. Um, all right, Chapin, there you go. What are you grumpy about? Oh, this fucking screening. All right, I went to this. Yes. I, I, I saw, Love stories about this. I saw the movie in this, and I every time I go there, I'm like, I'm Ever coming back here again? It's called Living Room Theaters. It's a very nice idea. Um, you know, you can get dinner in the movie theater. It's not, you know the food's not great. You can get drinks. The drinks aren't great. Um, yeah, we have and, something and, similar here. And the theaters are very small, and oftentimes the projectors are not up to snuff. Um, so in this movie, in a movie shot on film about film, where you often hear the projectors of the film in the movie, this movie. Theater had a very loud projection sound for some reason, even though it's digital. There's no moving parts. <laughs> I went out and I said, there's a loud noise in the projector. Can you guys do anything about it? Some guy came in, listened to it, went out again. And then I stopped and I said it again. I said, guys, you know, this is it's kind of tough in the Fablemans. We're hearing a lot of silent projector noise in here. And you've got a projector room that makes a lot of noise. And they're like, yeah, we know about it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> So no offer of money back. Okay, I'm not done. I'm not done. So there's that. The whole movie. Then there was some, you know, this attracts a lot of like, you know, upper middle class like elderly folks, elderly white people to this movie theater. And there was this woman just eating popcorn as loud as I have ever heard someone eat popcorn in my life. And I kept looking over my shoulder at them, giving them daggers. And they were just like, and then there was another guy sitting next to me who was going, you know, oh, and having big sighs at all the important moments in the movie. Oh, I got I have to also admit that I was off my meds a little bit I, uh, at this time. And I think that had a, a little okay. bit to do with but it. I also but I also want to ask. Chapin actually saw it alone in the theater. None I of this actually... happened. <laughs> None of these sounds exist. No, there was not even other. He's never seen the movie. I also want to ask Chapin, when, when did you see this movie? How many days ago? Oh, it was a while ago. And listen to how mad he still is. But like, but this is just want to say like, like have some respect for movies. I mean, this you know, is like, the thing is like we have this conversation like one every five movies, I feel like. Or maybe it might even more every time we that. see a movie in the theater, one of yeah. us runs into this. 
But it's I went so, to Avatar with 500 people on Sunday, and it was great. I, except, and then I was in this little fee theater with 12 people, and I wanted to murder every single one of them. I mean, it is something, I mean, it works both ways, though, Chapin. We used to go to, like, the, you know, the smaller theaters or whatever. We'd go to the Arclay or something to be fine, and then we'd go to the big theater at the Grove, and, you know, people got shot or whatever the hell happened. <laughs> right, so. right. Right. You know, it's, I think it just depends on the crowd. All right. Well, know what I'm angry about? My fucking microphone. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna we get had, we'll get that we'll sorted get that out. Fixed. We had about an, I had about an um, hour of technical problems. But I'd like bring to you all this brilliant podcast. I'd like to move to Jeremy's location corner though, because it's a little bit interesting. Um, a lot of sets, but also I think um, some interesting locations, like where they shot Escape to Nowhere and stuff. Like you know, mm-hmm. that just seemed like the desert. Is that tough to lock up? Uh, that's easy would you like to, to oh Jeremy's location you know what we could do on Jeremy's location corner is read that email you showed me oh uh, that wasn't even for me though I feel yeah, but like it's still fun if, as long as you're allowed just, to share it uh, well I won't say who who was to um, I gotta go pull it up though this just is, give us this just is, give us a little this, context this is unexpected yeah so basically a lot of times when we film places we like we, we put out flyers with our emails and our phone numbers on it. If you have any issues, if you like have deliveries, if you know, you have to get in or get out or like whatever the issue may be, like we, we kind of go out of our way to, um, to try to help, um, residents, which is like way more than like construction does or any, any other business would do. I mean, for, for blocks, we, uh, we do that and a lot of times because our emails or our numbers are on we get phone calls we get um we get emails back so this one wasn't even for me this is just you know all the the assistant location managers you know we 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 talk amongst ourselves but i've gotten similar ones um this was i think i want to say I want to say it was from a Boston resident and it said, hello, blank. I I would just like to say, fuck your show, fuck your network and fuck you. As if parking isn't bullshit as it is, you wave your Hollywood cock. Keep in mind, this is uh, uh, directed to a woman. You, (laughs) You wave your Hollywood cock and take a street with worth of parking. I hope your show gets canceled. I hope your lead is a pedo who gets outed before the first episode, and I hope you never get work again. Some of us have real jobs and are living our average life, and you cunts with complete disregard for the day-to-day lives of us little people just want us out at 5 a.m. in front of the place we live. Fuck you. Sincerely, 8th Street. So, just like a small little... Um, and if There's you guys so much hear- to unpack there. It's just great. And if you guys want to hear more of these, I have I have years of these sort of things, including voicemails we could share on this podcast of um, just happy residents that are yeah. so glad to let's make that have another us let's make that another segment that we'll periodically sprinkle yeah. in. I can I, I can keep that one going for a while. Um, yeah, it's annoying because it's like yeah, this guy who lives in Boston probably has makes more money than the person he just directed that email towards. But of course they're big Hollywood 
Yeah, they got a big Hollywood cock. They got a big so. Hollywood cock uh, on yeah. her. <laughs> oh, I thought that was that was directed at you. No, this one wasn't. But um, this Chapin, is are you not listening? No, Get off the I, phone. no, no I was just joking. Just because he's got a just because he's got a big penis. Oh. I mean, he also has a big Hollywood cock, but in this particular case, it was towards a yeah. woman with a big Hollywood no. cock. I know, I know, I I know that. Okay. You, you know that women All have right. cocks. Wrap this up because Chapin's clearly got more important things to do. No, I don't. I'm. Gl- I love this part of the, the. I love this part of the podcast. Well, I don't have any more categories that I think are really worth discussing. Well, how about like what we've been watching in the spreadsheet stuff? Well, you guys never uh, asked me about fa- the spreadsheet. I mean, you don't even know how to find the spreadsheet. A, a I'm always on the. I'm always on the spreadsheet. No, nothing really new added to the spreadsheet. You know, obviously we're we're at the point now where just about everything we need to see is on here. I've been trying to like narrow some things down as we go through it, um, but we've got 94 days, 42 hours, and 12 minutes until the fixies are recorded. Um, it seems like a long time. <laughs> do we, but, have a t- you know, we have a do we have an hour set the when we're uh, going to re- do this? Oh, I don't know what uh, the hour I put in, but I just wanted to make it a countdown. So, got it. Um, Final countdown. Um, you know, obviously next uh, we have big plans. Um, we're going to get it to you the next pod as soon as possible, but we'll be recording the pod for Avatar, Way of Water. Um, it's a big movie release. Maybe you've heard of it. That's on the spreadsheet as a must-see. One of uh, 15 remaining must-sees for me. Oh, one of 19, or not well, Chapin's now seeing it, but he has 19 must-sees and Jeremy has 21 must-sees. But, Chapin, you know, what'd you just check off? Avatar, The Way of Water. Oh. I also watched Triangle of Sadness this week. So we're not going to get to pot about that, Chapin. Tell me what you thought about it. Well, I haven't seen it. I want to see it. Well, we can still discuss it briefly. Uh, I really, really liked it. Um, I did too. And I thought it was hilarious and <laughs> poignant and weird and just like, I mean, yeah, I just thought it was great. I, I'm with you. So I really fun. liked it. I was um, that was That was another example of, I mean, that seems like it happens a lot, but like. I'm the only one in the movie theater laughing at stuff. And that's like totally like inappropriate things to laugh at, but that's the point. And that's the best. I think you'll like it, Jeremy. Sounds like it. All right, Chapin, wrap us up. So this, thank you so much for joining us on this analysis of the Fablemans. Um, I, you know what I wish we could have talked about, but I guess maybe we can try to maybe do it on the next pod. I'm sure there's not that much to talk about with Avatar <laughs> um, is why this movie has done so poorly. I think the release schedule for it has not mm. been great. And it's interesting. It's kind of a bad trailer of bomb, bad trailer for sure. Um, so thank you so much for joining us. And I just wanted to remind everybody to uh, be thinking about sending us their voice memos. You know, we, that's a, that's an integral part of the fixies that we'd like to work in your, um, your voice memos. And, um, We'd love to have them. So, if if something if a movie stood out uh, to you this year, like what was the what was the what was the best thing you saw? What was the worst thing you saw? Any like strong emotions? Let us know what they are, um, and send us a voicemail. Um, uh, if you want to word it similarly to the email that Jeremy just read us, we're okay with yeah. that. Yeah, call, you can call. call Cox. Yeah, let us know. I mean, I don't know. That's not really how we use we do voice memos for the. Fixies is criticism of us, but we'll we'll find a way to work that in somewhere else if you want to send us something like that. Um, yeah, just and, like the emotion and the and the right. <laughs> intensity right. behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And yeah, if you saw Tar, we'd like to know. We're still doing a bunch of polls on Instagram. Um, only two people voted that they really wanted to watch Oppenheimer, despite a lot of people seeing that um, particular away message or that particular story. So um, it was me and Kevin. So Kevin and I both really want to see Oppenheimer. That should be good for the box office. <laughs> <laughs> and Kevin probably won't see it in the yeah. <laughs> uh, So thanks so much for listening. And uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with a little film called Avatar, probably the most expensive film ever made. Thank you so much for listening and have an awesome uh, Christmas and a safe um, new year. And holidays, Chapin. Let's be a little bit more. Holidays. Universal. Happy Hanukkah. I believe, I believe this is the second night of Hanukkah. Um, Kwanzaa, and you know, if you're not religious, have fun too. You know, order a Chinese yeah, dinner. Celebrate the solstice. Um, the solstice, the solstice is, on is Wednesday. coming up. Yeah, it's always good. Um, it's not going to be as dark anymore. So there's that. So thanks so much for listening, and uh, may God have mercy on your souls. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, whatever God you believe in. May. <laughs> now remember this. When the horizon's at the bottom, it's interesting. When the horizon's at the top, it's interesting. When the horizon's in the middle, it's boring as shit. Now, good luck to you. And get the fuck out of my office. <laughs>